<laughs> we are really, 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 really <laughs> concerned about our tomorrows, aren't we? In fact, sometimes I think we're a little obsessed about the future. <laughs> we, we want to predict the future. Attempting to foresee the future has become a very profitable business today. We can call our psychic counselor or go to the local palm reader or read our horoscope or even surf the internet to find some self-proclaimed clairvoyant who, of course for a price, would be happy to forecast what's going to happen to us tomorrow or next week or next year. But I'm not recommending that, by the way. (laughs) I'm just stating that that's our culture. We have a fascination with predicting the future. And we want to prepare for the future. That's a natural thing for us to do. We do it in a variety of different ways. I mean, there are more resources than you can possibly imagine on the subject of planning and organizing for the future. For instance, just take the area of personal finance. There are books to read, courses to take, seminars to attend, infomercials to watch, DVDs to buy, financial planners to hire, portfolios to put together, all because we want to be fully prepared for the future. And we want to pretend about the future. I mean, we're so enthralled with what life is going to be like. 50 years or 100 years or 500 years from now. Notice how many science fiction books and movies there are. How many TV programs are set in the future. Our imaginations run wild thinking and dreaming about tomorrow's technologies. We're like little kids when it comes to pretending what the future may hold. And the truth is, whether we are predicting, preparing, or pretending, there's hardly a day that goes by that we don't think about the future. As we continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of James, we come this morning to James 4, verses 13 through 17, and the question, how do I face the future? Follow along in your Bible as I read today's text. James chapter 4, we pick it up with verse... 13. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Here in these five verses, it seems to me that James points out three common mistakes that we often make when it comes to facing the future. I want us to take a look at these three mistakes and then offer three corresponding biblical corrections to these Mistakes, beginning with mistake number one, which is excluding God from tomorrow. Perhaps the biggest mistake we make is excluding God from 
tomorrow. Look again at verse 13. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. I like the way the message paraphrases the same verse. And now I have a word for you who brashly announced today at the latest tomorrow, we're off to such and such a city for a year. We're going to start a business and make a lot of money. Now, at first glance, <clears throat> doesn't seem to be anything wrong at all with this statement. I mean, any good business person could make such an announcement. Actually, verse 13 reflects some pretty good business planning. I mean, it tells us when, today, at the latest tomorrow. It tells us where, such and such a city. It tells us how long, for a year. It tells us what, we're going to start a business. And it tells us why, and make a lot of money. When, where, how, what, why. I mean, we can't cover it much more thoroughly than that. That's a pretty solid business plan we have here. So what's the problem with the statement in verse 13? Don't miss this. It's not what's included in the plan that is wrong. It's what's excluded from the plan that is wrong. And what is excluded? Who is missing from this plan? God. James is not condemning planning here. He's condemning planning without God. I ran across a pretty interesting quote this past week from the late Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He said this right before his death in 2008, and it's astonishing to me that he is the one who said this. And I quote, since I have spent well over 50 years working in the Russian Revolution, in the process I've collected hundreds of personal testimony, read hundreds of books, and contributed eight volumes of my own. But if I were asked today to formulate as concisely as possible the main cause of the ruinous revolution that has swallowed up some 60 million Russians, I could not put it more accurately than to repeat the phrase, men have forgotten God. What is more, if I were called upon to identify the principal trait of the entire 20th and now 21st centuries, I would not be able to reflect anything or find anything more precise than this statement, men have forgotten God. End quote. Whoa! <laughs> I find that Solzhenitsyn said that to be absolutely fascinating. <laughs> but what I find even more amazing is that I think he actually nailed it. I mean, this is the principal trait of our culture and society today. People have forgotten God. Now, it's sad to me to meet somebody who says, I don't believe in God. We call them an atheist, although I've found that there are actually very few true atheists who don't believe in God at all. However, let me just say, I think it's sadder to meet somebody who says they do believe in God and then they don't act like it. You with me? Yes. Sir. Somebody who says, I believe in God on Sunday, but God doesn't have anything to do with the rest of his or her life. <laughs> he or she never considers God when it comes to business on Monday through Saturday. He or she never thinks about the Lord when it comes to their financial planning. He or she never contemplates God when it comes to his or her family activities. He or she goes through life just excluding God from most everything he or she does except perhaps church on Sunday. And i got to tell you, I've met a lot of people over the years that that describes. 
So what's the correction for this first mistake? Well, obviously, it's to include God in our plans. We need to learn to include God in our plans. Notice what James writes in verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. If it is the Lord's will. Now, can I just say on the side real quick that admittedly, that can become a rather meaningless cliche. I mean, I've heard people use this to actually excuse themselves. If it is the Lord's will, then I'll do whatever. And then you ask them later, why didn't you do that? And they go, well, I guess it wasn't the Lord's will. It's just an excuse. It's a way to shirk responsibility. And obviously, that's not what James had in mind here. The point that James is trying to make is that this attitude, if it is the Lord's will, should permeate everything that we think and say and do. Truly, God's will should be a very important part of everything that we are planning for our tomorrows. In fact, our future should be at the very center of God's will. Notice how... Solomon put it in Proverbs chapter 16. Let's read these verses out loud together. We humans make plans, but the Lord has the final word. Share your plans with the Lord and you will succeed. That's good advice. A little later in verse 9, Solomon said we should make our plans counting on God to direct us. You see, even as we are in the process of making our plans, we have to submit to the will of God. We have to say, in the planning stages, if it is the Lord's will. This desire to be at the very center of God's will in everything should permeate our lives. Let me put it this way. We should never pray, God, please bless what I'm doing. That should never be our prayer. Instead, we ought to be praying, God, please help me to do what You're blessing. See the difference? It's a whole different attitude, a whole different approach to life. We don't make our plans and then as an afterthought pray, oh, by the way, God, would You come along with me? (laughs) No. We desire to walk God's path. We pray to determine His direction for our todays and our tomorrows. And we choose every moment to live in the very center of His will for our lives. So the first mistake we often make in facing the future is excluding God from tomorrow. And the correction is to include God in our plans. Mistake number two is exhibiting arrogance about tomorrow. Exhibiting arrogance, cockiness, pride about tomorrow. It's the brashness that James talks about in verses 14 and 16. I love the way that J.B. Phillips translates these two verses. How do you know what will happen even tomorrow? What, after all, is your life? It is like a puff of smoke visible for a little while and then dissolving into thin air. As it is, you get a certain pride in yourself in planning your future with such confidence. That sort of pride is all wrong. James is warning us here about being presumptuous about the future, about presuming upon tomorrow. Now, why should we be careful of this? He cites at least two reasons. First of all, because life's volatile. 
life is volatile. Again, verse 14, James writes, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. That is so true. Nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't even have a clue. I mean, we try to guess because we don't want to face tomorrow without some kind of an idea, but we really don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Weather forecasters can't even get it right. And they have radar. Some of us, we get our lives all planned out this afternoon, tomorrow, the coming week, next month, even the rest of the year. But truthfully, we don't even know if tomorrow's going to come. The future is unpredictable and volatile. Somebody said the only thing certain about life is that it is uncertain. We learned that this morning, didn't we, Rick? Karen and I lost our oldest daughter, Tiffany, when she was only 29 years old just over nine years ago now. She left behind two sons and a mom and dad and two sisters along with a host of other family members and friends who were shocked at the sudden unpredictable end to her life. And let me tell you something. When something like the death of a child rocks your world, you learn in a hurry just how uncertain life really is. So first, we shouldn't be presumptuous about the future because life is volatile. And second, because life is a vapor. Life's just a vapor. Verse 14, James asks, What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. (laughs) Don't, Don't miss that key word, mist. Other translations use the terms vapor, puff of smoke. Actually, the Greek word is is atmos from which we get our word atmosphere. I mean, James is saying that life is like the valley fog. (laughs) It appears in the morning and then before you know it, the sun breaks through and it's gone. And over and over again, the Bible reminds us of the brevity of life on this earth. That life's like a leaf that falls from a tree. That life is like a flower that wilts and fades. That life is like grass that's scorched by the sun and dies. That life is like a shadow that's here one minute and gone the next. And the longer that I live, the more I realize how short life is. If God gives us three score and ten, seventy years... Some of you are on grace already. (laughs) But I know this, I'm way past middle age. (laughs) In fact, I've lived over 80% of my life, if statistics are right. That's an attention getter. Life goes by so quickly. So second, we shouldn't be presumptuous about the future because life's just a vapor. And yet at times we get so arrogant about tomorrow as though the future is a sure thing. We live as though life is going to go on and on and on and on. No end. We boast about our plans as if life will never ever end. And Isaiah prophesied about that kind of attitude. Isaiah 56, verse 12. Come, they that say, we'll get some wine and have a party. Let's all get drunk. That's really living. Let it go on and on. And tomorrow will be even better. See the arrogance there? Yes. 
I mean, it's presuming upon the future. Let's read Proverbs 27 and verse 1 out loud together. Would you read it with me? Never boast about tomorrow. You don't know what will happen between now and then. Oh, that's so true. So what's the biblical correction to exhibiting arrogance about tomorrow? Simply this. We need to learn to live one day at a time. Live one day at a time. Jesus Himself put it this way. Matthew 6 and verse 34. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. God will take care of your tomorrow too. Live one day at a time. That's the key. Can't be said often enough. Live one day at a time. I believe what Jesus is teaching us here is to live in the present tense. Not in the past tense and not in the future tense, but the present tense. Now I know a lot of people who live in the past tense. They go through their whole life and they never get over what happened to them in the past. They carry that baggage with them and anytime anything happens, they always point to the past, to this terrible thing that happened to them. And they never process through it. They never move beyond it. They're stuck in the past, frozen in time, paralyzed by previous events. They can't let it go. No, they won't let it go. I also know a lot of people, perhaps even more, who are living their lives in the future. Everything they do is for tomorrow. Everything is focused on the next day, the next week, the next year. All their time and efforts are consumed with planning and preparing for some day that is yet to come. And what James is trying to get across to us here is that we need to learn how to enjoy life today. (laughs) To live in the present tense. Somebody once said that life is what happens to us while we're busily making plans for tomorrow. Ouch. Life often passes us by because we're so focused on the future. We can't enjoy today. How many times have we said, as soon as I get this done, (laughs) as soon as I get this done, then I'm going to enjoy life. As soon as I get this promotion, as soon as I get this raise, as soon as I buy this house, as soon as I get all my ducks in a row, as soon as this or that happens, then I'm going to enjoy life. And you know what? It'll never happen. All of life's going to go right by us and we won't have enjoyed it at all. Instead, we need to learn how to live one day at a time. And so, the second common mistake we face in facing the future is exhibiting arrogance about tomorrow. And the correction, biblically, is to live one day at a time. Mistake number three is excusing ourselves until tomorrow. Excusing ourselves until tomorrow. Look again at verse 17. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. The key word here is sins. You see, there are two kinds of sins according to the Bible. First of all, there are sins of commission. Wrongs that we commit, mistakes that we make, things that we do that we should not do, actions that are displeasing to God. Sins of commission... But secondly, there are also sins of omission. Things we omit. Deeds that we ought to do that we have not done. Actions we should be taking but we neglect to do. Now obviously it's the second kind of sin that James is talking about here in verse 17. 
Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Sins of omission. Now, thinking about facing the future, we call this procrastination. Some of us are really, really good procrastinators. Now, I just want you to know I would procrastinate if I could ever get around to it. (laughs) Yeah, we like to joke about it. We put off until tomorrow something that ought to be done today. Poet put it this way, procrastination is my sin. It only causes sorrow. I know I ought to change my ways. In fact, I will. Tomorrow. (laughs) I've heard people say, I'm aiming to do such and such. And every time I hear somebody say that, I say, well, if you're aiming, then pull the trigger. (laughs) How many times have we said, one of these days, one of these days, I'm going to lose weight. (laughs) One of these days, I'm going to make that appointment with the doctor for a checkup. One of these days, I'm going to spend more time with my kids and grandkids. One of these days, I'm going to quit this bad habit in my life. I really am going to do that one of these days. One of these days, I'm going to go get some counseling to help me work through some of these issues. One of these days, I'm going to get out of debt. That's something I really need to do one of these days. One of these days, I'm going to start tithing. I'm going to start giving generously to the Lord. One of these days, I'm going to get baptized. I know that's something God wants me to do. I haven't done it yet, and I need to do it. One of these days, I'm going to start reading and studying my Bible every day. One of these days, I'm going to pray. One of these days, I'm going to get involved in a small group Bible study. One of these days, I'm going to find a place where I can use my gifts and abilities to serve God. One of these days, I'm... What? You fill in the blank. What is it for you? One of these days. Huh. Again, James' warning to us in verse 17 is anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. So what does the Bible say about correcting this mistake of excusing ourselves until tomorrow? Well, the correction is obviously do what is right now. We've got to do what is right now. Read Proverbs 3. Verses 27 and 28 out loud with me. Would you read this? Whenever you possibly can, do good to those who need it. Never tell your neighbors to wait until tomorrow if you can help them now. Isn't that a great verse? Yes. And the key word there is now. Do what is right now. Emerson once said, people are always getting ready to live but never living. Remember when you were a kid and you'd line up on the playground during recess and somebody would say, on your mark, get set. Oh, you guys are horrible. Did you ever do that? Hello? You awake? Come on, come on. On your mark, get set. All right. Just want to make sure you were alive out there. Go! You know, we're still playing that game as adults. (laughs) In fact, you just demonstrated it. The only thing is, we're just saying, on your mark, get set. That's it. No. We're not saying go. That's the problem. Folks, life is brief, and I hate to put it this way, but the hearse is on its way. And so, we better go. 
Right now, while we have the opportunity. If there's something we ought to be doing today, we shouldn't excuse ourselves until tomorrow. We need to stop procrastinating. If something's right and good that we ought to be doing, we need to do it now without delay. That's particularly true when it comes to our relationship with Christ in the church. If we've been putting off making a commitment to Jesus as the forgiver and leader of our lives, if we have been saying, one of these days I'm going to make a commitment to Christ... Then 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2 is your verse today. Right now, God is ready to deliver you. Today, He is ready to say, right now, today, when it comes to things that have to do with Christ and the church, you don't excuse yourself until tomorrow. You don't delay. You don't put it off for another day. When it comes to things of eternal value, you take care of them today. The moment is right now. So the third common mistake we make when it comes to facing the future is to excuse ourselves until tomorrow. And the biblical correction is for us to do what is right now. In summary then, there are three common mistakes that we make in facing the future. Excluding God from tomorrow. Exhibiting arrogance about tomorrow. Excusing ourselves until Tomorrow, in the biblical corrections to these three mistakes, we need to learn how to include God in our plans and to live one day at a time and to do what is right now. How do I face the future? This morning we're taking a closer look at James' practical instruction here in James 4, verses 13 through 17. How, how, how do I face the future? I, I include God in it. Today, and I learn how to make the most of today, living one day at a time. And if there's something I know I need to do, I do it. I get it 